Coming up on this week's podcast, we're talking to Suzanne Yatim Aslam about her experience of postpartum depression. I had a baby uh, seven years ago and I hated it. I felt no connection to Sammy. I don't, not sure that I loved him. I, I had postpartum depression and I didn't know that I had it. So what I thought was because I got it at the same time I became a mom, I just thought being a mom sucked. Your body starts to feel so heavy. So I would feel it happening. Like I was very aware, you know, I was fine. And then I got mad. And then all of a sudden I would tense up and the, the darkness would just show up and everything was black and it was horrible. And I was in physical pain, physical and mental pain. So when I found out I, I was depressed, I got really, really mad because I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I'm a, I'm a new mom and now I have to deal with a mental health issue. I don't have time for this, you know? And that like, it kind of pissed me off that this is something that I have to deal with. Episode 119 of the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast. The little podcast that makes a big difference. The little podcast that's so simple, I've told you everything that it's about already. It's Straight Talking Mental Health. My name is Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist with a degree in counseling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. This is not a psychotherapy podcast, although we get into little bits and pieces as we go along. We're just here to do exactly as I said already, Straight Talk Mental Health try and break the stigma around mental health, get people having these honest and open conversations. And having an honest and open conversation is our guest later on, Suzanne Yatim Aslam. She's going to tell us about her experience of postpartum depression, the unpleasant thought she had about her child, the compounded guilt that she had for feeling the way she was feeling, uh, what it's like compounding that even further by being the being the child of immigrant parents while in Palestine other people are having no water and are being killed and are being arrested and she's going through her privileged life I suppose in quotation marks for our listeners of uh, feeling sad around having a child when everyone else is telling her she should be grateful and everything that goes along with that but so Dan tells us what it's like to feel like you hate your child, feel like you don't love your child, feel like you don't connect with your child. So that's coming up later on. It's a great conversation and absolutely uh, really privileged for Suzanne to come on and be so honest around her experience. So before we get into the conversation with Suzanne, let's get into some social media plugs. And we've got some very big, very big correspondence coming up at the end of all of that. So stay tuned for that. It's it's big. That's That's, that's all I can say around it. If you haven't already, you can check the podcast out on social media. That is Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. The username on all of those social media is at STMHPodcast. That is also the website, STMHPodcast.com. So if you want to come on and you want to tell your story, if you want to offer some feedback or topic suggestions on any topics that we haven't covered so far, I'd love to hear from you. As, As I said, around the same, that goes for the feedback on the podcast of whether it's last week's episode or uh this week's episode or previous episodes going way way back that you just happen to check out please do feel free to do all of that one thing i've been forgetting to say and i suppose it's come to my mind because of the correspondence that we've got coming up and that is sometimes people obviously don't want to come on and tell their story they don't want to be a guest they don't want to be seen on camera or they don't want to be heard you know be recorded so that it's out there but you can also email in your story if that's something you'd like me to do if you'd like me to read out your story on the podcast because 
everyone's story always resonates with someone else. And that's what we've got coming up uh, later on once we get through some of the normal social media correspondence. So if you do want to come on, if you want to just tell your story, if you want me to read it out as I'm going to do later on, then please feel free to do that. You can email hello at stmhpodcast.com. So that's to come on and be a guest, offer some feedback, uh, or to have your story read out if you're not comfortable coming on to tell it yourself. I'm more than happy to do that. And a big thank you to that to that to that listener who has sent that in. You're going to hear what I'm going to it'll all make sense in a, in a few minutes if you haven't already you can check out the youtube channel that is with the same handle as all of the other social media channels at stmh podcast at straight talking mental health podcast abbreviated to stmh podcast if you give a subscribe there drop a comment on any of the videos hit like any any of those interactions are certainly going to help the, the youtube algorithm that's going to help more people to see what we're trying to do here which is save people's lives and straight talk about mental health and um by sharing any of that by you know, hitting share or retweet on any of our posts that you may see during the week. That's all of that's going to help, you know, because we're just trying to reach as many people as we can. So you can check out the YouTube channel at STMH Podcast. Give a like, give a subscribe, give a follow, get notified, blah, 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 all of that stuff. Comment down below. You know, all of that stuff. We did have some we did have some feedback on last week's show. We had some correspondence on our episode last week with B Bowman. I did the job. B Bowman. I just fucking can't help it. Maybe it's the autism in me. I just, I just couldn't stop myself from saying that. That's all that was in my head every time I was speaking to, I was speaking to B. So a big shout out to our former guest uh, Rachel, who had come on and told her story around dyslexia. Uh, Rachel, nice Nike jacket, Alan. Awesome guest and brilliant story to tell. That was in reference to my Nike golf top. I forgot I was wearing my golf gear when I recorded the interview. So thanks very much, Rachel. Glad, glad you liked the top. Not, not my typical. I don't typically wear sports gear. Um, um, I wear these kind of tops for, for work and golf and stuff like that. So thanks very much. Nice nice to know my top was appreciated. Uh, another fan last week was Rob. Uh, Rob, who has sent in his own correspondence. And I know, the, I know the podcast means an awful lot to you, Rob. Thank you very much for the comments on Facebook, on the Facebook page at STMH Podcast. The bit about the bonfire had me in stitches. Seems like a real character. I wasn't aware of Toastmasters either, so I learned something new. I think people who struggle with communication could learn a lot from it. Wish her all the best. So that's in reference to B telling her story. B as an African American woman in Germany, small town Germany. Um, I think from what she was saying, there was uh, it might have been around Halloween or something like that. She said in the fall uh, there was a bonfire in uh, in the local area. People came with torches, brought her into the woods. Um, bit of a culture shock for someone someone that grew up in uh, the inner city uh, in America. So B shared that. Rob appreciated that story. And B also shared her experience of Toastmasters. If you're not familiar with Toastmasters, um, they are an organization. I don't know. I don't know to the extent of what they are, whether it's a charity or just an organization. People, public speaking, you know, public speaking is uh, mankind's biggest fear. So in plenty of research and in plenty of polls, public speaking ranks higher than death. So people fear speaking in public in front of other people more than they fear death. And I think that kind of says it all, that fear of social judgment, etc. That that goes along with all of that. And B got from that, you know, the experience she had with that led her into stand-up comedy. So if, you know, anxiety or public speaking is something that's, that has been an issue in, in your life, you should certainly check out Toastmasters. I know some people that have gone to it and they, they have certainly had positive experiences. B seems to have had her own. So check them out if you haven't already. Might be something for you to get into. Good way to meet people and maybe help you to deal with some anxiety that you may have around around public speaking as it's all done in a friendly environment. So thanks very much, Rob. Uh, one, one of the things I really appreciated, uh, 
Orla, Orla, who always has a, has a comment on the Facebook, and I know she's an avid listener to the podcast. So currently listen to your latest episode while walking. Thank you. And Orla had a photograph. I love that. And that's something I've never done. So if you listen to the podcast while you're out at work or, or you're out walking or you're in work or you're at home, uh, if you could give a comment, give a comment on any of the on any of the posts. Just let me know where you're listening. I'd love to see that. I'd love to know uh, where where I'm reaching you, what your life is like. Give us a little insight into the, the listeners' lives. And thank you very much. So Orla was standing between on the roadsides between Muff and Derry. So there's a joke to be had there about Muff. I won't, I won't say it, but you can say it yourselves. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't stoop that slow. I wouldn't be so immature. Uh, so thanks very much, Orla. I really appreciate that. I love seeing that picture. And I uh, would love to see anyone else's pictures. So let me know where you're listening. Send me a photograph. You know, you can DM on any of the uh, social media or just drop a comment below on any of the on any of the channels. That's really appreciated. So thanks very much, Orla. And thank you to Rob. As a mother co- correspondent, so I put a meme up on the page. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm going to put it up here now ding and all of, all, all of that sort of stuff and it was a retweet that says doing tele doing teletherapy from your childhood home is kind of like reporting to you live from the scene of the accident <laughs> mel thank you very much mel mel found that way too funny i've had that experience as a therapist i've i've had video sessions with clients that forever whatever reason they may be traveling or visiting their parents that they've had to do sessions from uh, from home and it can exactly be like the scene of the accident or as Catherine had commented down below or the scene of the crime. And that can very much be the case as well. Uh, a lot of damage can be done in those homes and to be back there having therapy is, is quite the unusual experience. So thank you to everyone, everyone for Mel and Catherine commenting on the on the meme. You, you can see it here now. If you haven't already, just check out the Facebook page or any of the social media. I'm sure it came up on Twitter and Instagram and stuff as well. So thank you very much. One of the other posts that we put up on social media during the week, it was a repost from Aslan. So if you haven't already, on episode, uh, let me see, 68. So we're going back, going back a long time. And this was during lockdown. So the band, the Irish band Aslan. And on episode 68, we had Billy McGuinness. Billy, one of the members of Aslan. Probably one of the biggest Irish bands outside of U2. They just didn't have the international success that U2 did. But I think in Ireland, they're, they're held in the same kind of esteem as U2 would be. And if you haven't been aware, uh, Christy Dignam, the lead singer of the band, who who Billy came on and spoke so uh, fondly for, and one of the things that stood out for me from that episode was the affection that Billy and the other bandmates had for for Christy. Obviously, they've been gigging together and playing music together since probably the eighties, I think. Um, so obviously, they're going to be fairly fond of each other. If people aren't aware, Christy has had his own demons over the years. He's had he's battled with heroin addiction and. Um, other other issues throughout throughout the time which have affected the band but unfortunately uh things don't seem very good for christy's health at the moment he is receiving palliative care at home as i understand it the band had put up a, a post which i'll read out as always christy's health has been has been and is our priority it has been a tough road for us all but most of all christy there are no words to describe how we're all feeling with the update that has been shared by christy's family as we all know christy will always keep up his fight and never gives up Christy and ourselves are devastated that all future shows will be cancelled, as with Christy receiving palliative care treatment, performing will not be possible. Thank you all for just being you. You're the most sincere and loyal fans, and we know how lucky we are to have you all. We ask that you please respect Christy and his family's privacy at this time. So, you know, if you're religious, I'm sure you're sending thoughts and prayers and stuff like that out to out to Christy and the other members of the band, members of the band now who are who cannot play. And when we had Billy on, it was the height of lockdown. There was no gigs. There were professional musicians. There was no work. 
So that was that was a very tough time when we had Billy on the podcast. So I wanted to, uh, Sabrina, send her thoughts and prayers to Chrissy and his family and friends at this very sad and hard time. That was on the Facebook page. Cora, so sad. Cora's obviously seen the band many times, so thanks for commenting, Cora. I don't think anyone will ever be able to take his place. This is in regards to Christy as a frontman. I know people will remember him for a lot of things, but for me, you'll definitely be following him to many different venues and watching him sing every one of his songs with such passion and conviction. My prayers are definitely with him and his family tonight. Um, so, yeah, so I'm sure everyone everyone shares that sentiment and, and hopefully everyone is managing as best they can under such difficult circumstances. So thank you to everyone for the comments on the Facebook page. So if you haven't already, you can still check out last week's episode. If you're watching on YouTube, ding, ding, there's there's the link up there. If you listen on your podcast provider, it's going to be there where you found this week's episode. Uh, that was last week's episode with B. Bauman around schizophrenia. One of the things that stood out for me, I think, from the episode, a couple of things. One of the things was... Uh, I was just trying to imagine what it was like as a 12-year-old growing up believing that her foster parents, so if you didn't check it out, B grew up in foster care with foster parents who she believed to be her, her birth parents. She didn't know she was fostered until she was 12. And then out of nowhere, her birth mother comes along and takes her to live with her and her other seven siblings. I'm trying to imagine what that must have been like for that for that young child. Um, and as she said, she was trying to, to live with the, the pack seven other siblings who she didn't know and she'd come she'd come from living in a strong black baptist christian middle middle class family to growing up in inner city indiana i think it was with with seven other siblings so i was trying to imagine what that what that culture shock must have been like for her and one of the other things and i think b b made a, a very powerful statement was kind of one of the triggers for her schizophrenia was uh, the kind of juxtaposition and and the cognitive dissonance that she experienced from believing she was quotation marks a horrible person to having a good life, as you said, that Cinderella complex of believing her Prince Charming would come along, and he did, and that's when B met her now husband that and moved her to Germany. So, you know, it's just. And I think that can go along and she she touched on a few times as well around imposter syndrome and these core beliefs that can get into us around, you know, believing that there's something wrong with us or believing that we're a shitty person or a bad person or whatever it may be. And then when things start going good for what can happen for a lot of people is they can start to self-sabotage because they feel they don't deserve that. They're unworthy of it. And so what they do then is they can do things, whether it's go drinking or have affairs or any amount of things that can feed into this then that reinforces the belief that you're a shitty person and you don't deserve this kind of stuff this unconscious drive to self-sabotage when things are going quite good as one client i had used to say his his um his expression around self-sabotage was he was he was getting ready to pull the pin on the grenade so that's that that's quite that's quite the analogy quite the metaphor so a huge thank you to b for that so earlier on you would have mentioned me, as, or you would have heard me talk about, as I do every single week. If you want to come on and tell your story, if you've got some feedback, you want to come on and be a guest, blah, 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 hit me up on the social media or drop an email. One of the things that has probably forgotten to be talked about and something we we would have had a lot in the past, and I, I suppose I probably just, it's probably on myself that I just kind of got on and it just became a habit of saying saying what I've been saying. But one of the things we used to frequently get on the podcast was people just emailing in their story. And that's something that maybe I forgot to announce. I always say, if you want to come on and tell your story, or you've got some feedback, blah, blah, blah. Um, but some people aren't prepared to do that. You know, obviously, these are deeply personal stories. And 
people don't want to be seen on camera or they don't want to be heard you know or searchable as part of as part of telling their story sometimes we get people come on and you know we, we will just have sometimes we make up a fake name or just a, a solo name for some of the people that come on might be telling some of their personal stories so we've had a listener reach out and i suppose to offer a warning that there, there is some some heavy stuff coming up in this correspondence around sexual abuse um parent to child and I'll get into that a little bit as that, but just to kind of give that warning. So if that is something you're you're sensitive to, uh, please just mind yourself on this next little bit and maybe come back if you need to, when you're better able to maybe cope with what I'm about to read out. So a huge thank you to this listener for sending in. I'm going to change details. I'm going to leave out as much of the personal identity stuff as I can uh, in order to respect everyone's privacy. So this is going to take a couple of minutes. So please stick with me, folks. Eight years ago, I was working at a supermarket chain, a British supermarket chain, and was advised by my store manager to go and see occupational health because of my severe mood swings and my anxious tendencies. Occupational health did a test with me and confirmed I have depression and anxiety. I always thought I was different, but it still surprised me being told this. First thing I did was ring my doctors and get referred for counselling. I started CBT with an agency, tried this three times over the space of a year with three different people, and having to start again with a new person every time, which just frustrated me even more. I just felt like it wasn't for me and had practically given up on anything getting better. My mum then fell ill. She had had a stroke and lost the use of her left-hand side and her whole independence. She had to have everything done for her. She was in hospital for four months. She then went to rehab centre for two months and then she told me the only place she will live is with me and my wife. She refused to go anywhere else so we brought her back to our house and cared for her for two months. By the end she refused to eat or drink anything so she lost all her weight and was so weak. She ended up back in hospital and was transferred up to the high independence ward. I thought nothing of it and left her that evening and headed to my car when I got a phone call to go back because the doctor wanted to speak to me. She started asking me about resuscitation and if I thought it was the best option. Mum was aware and was talking at this point and it was her choice and she chose to be resuscitated. This was on the Friday. By the Wednesday they sat me down on my own and told me mum was getting worse and there was nothing they could do. So they spoke about end of life care. They explained if they upped her morphine to stop the pain, it would only quicken the process. I agreed to this because at the end of the day, my mum was going to die anyway. So it was pretty much putting her out of her misery and out of pain. Mum died on the Saturday morning alone as I had decided to go home on the Friday night instead of staying with her. She could have died with her daughter by her side. While mum was ill, my dad was having an affair with another woman. When mum had decided she was coming to live with me, I gave my dad an ultimatum, which was he could come back and I'd never tell mum anything and he'd end up and he ended it with the other woman and helped me care for mum or he goes completely and I do without him. He said he couldn't give mum 100% so I told him to get lost. He then told me if I told mum the truth he would leave my life forever and I would never see him, see him again. So I told my mum and didn't talk to my dad properly for 18 months. He's now back in my life and we have a distant relationship. We text and see each other on special occasions and that's all I want to need. I then found a private therapist about six months after mum's death to help with my anxiety, depression and my grief. I've been seeing her for the last four years and she's been amazing. So on to the main point. About eight months ago, memories started coming back of my childhood. I always thought my childhood was perfect. I had an amazing mum who loved and adored me. Someone who was always proud of me and always wanted the best for me. Turns out my mum emotionally, physically and sexually abused me. She emotionally abused me for 27 years, physically and sexually abused me from the age of 5 to 16. She made my life a living hell. 
She used to emotionally abuse me every day. Used to tell me I was a disappointment, a waste of space, was never wanted, was always in the way, that I was never going to make anything of myself. She told me that she wished I could go and kill myself and do everyone a favour. She told me nobody will ever love me. She told me that she wished she had gotten an abortion and I wouldn't have ruined her life like I did. She blamed me for having no friends or family around. She blamed me for losing her job because she stole food so she could feed me. She blamed me for dad not wanting to be around much and blamed me because she was so unhappy. She once threatened to kill herself in front of me and if she did it would be my fault and then I would and then what would I do all alone? She used to physically abuse me by hitting me for no reason. She used to push me down the stairs, slap me and punch me just to get out of her way. I used to go and hide upstairs in my room where I had a built-in wardrobe. It was the only place I felt safe. She used to argue with my dad a lot or my dad would walk out and I would get the brunt of it. She used to throw things in my head. Whenever she argued with my dad, it would be my fault. I just had to get out of her way and hide and then maybe she would leave me alone. She never did. She would always find me. The sexual abuse memories only came back about two months ago and they've been the hardest to work through. They really have hit me hard. They only happened when dad was either at work or at the pub and not coming home. It started with my mum just touching me as I walked past, touching me inappropriately. She would then make me go in her room at night and lock the door so I couldn't escape. She would always sleep with no clothes on and make me sleep in the bed with her. At first I was allowed to wear clothes and she would hug me tightly so I had to touch her body. Then she had enough of that. She would make me sleep naked and do exactly the same thing. She would touch herself during this as well and make me watch. I didn't have a clue what was happening to me. All I know, it wasn't right, but it felt like the only time she truly loved me, the only time she showed me any affection. She sent her to touch me and would penetrate me with her fingers. It didn't feel right. It felt so wrong, but my body would react I always thought because this happened, it meant that I that I wanted it to happen, that I had enjoyed it. It just kept getting worse. My mum sexually abused me for 10 years. It just kept getting worse and worse. I never told anybody what was happening to me inside my house and nobody ever knew. When we were out in public, she pretended that she loved me, that she was proud of me and that I was her world. This was all fake. No one ever saw the real mum. She literally controlled my whole life. I played sport because she chose what clubs I would play for and I had to move clubs when she told me to. If I ever didn't make the grade, I would get beaten when I got home. I wasn't allowed to go out and play with any friends. I wasn't allowed friends around my house or anything. While this was happening at home, I was also getting bullied at school quite badly, so I had no safe place to go. Everywhere I went, I was being bullied by somebody. While all this was going on, my dad was hardly around and when he was, he would be drinking. Now, I understand why. It was because he was so unhappy with mum. She was evil to him. I think he only ever stayed because of me. At the age of 17, I met my first girlfriend. Mum loved her. She kept her close so that she wouldn't leave me. She loved my girlfriend more than she ever loved me. At 22, I finally escaped the house. I moved to a different city with my girlfriend and mum accepted that because... But she made sure that she still had control over me and emotionally abused me. She would ring me on a Friday and tell me I had to go and pick her up so that she can stay the whole weekend with me and my girlfriend. I literally had no escape from her. My girlfriend never witnessed anything. She just assumed we were really close. She knew she controlled me a little bit, but not to the extreme that she did. My girlfriend literally saved me from a life of hell. She got me out of the house that had caused me so much misery. Me and that said girlfriend are now married and have now bought a house. I'm still seeing the same therapist. She has moved, She has saved me on so many occasions. I finally saw a psychiatrist with the community health team and I've finally got an official diagnosis from them. At the age of 32, I've been diagnosed with borderline personality treatment, CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety and depression. For so long, I didn't understand why it was like it was. Now I feel like I have some closure and can understand myself more. I'm not as angry as I used to be. I'm calmer and feel less anxious around people. I'm hoping things can only improve from now. 
I have all the right support around me with my GP, psychiatrist, my therapist, and have been referred to a charity which specify in sexual abuse. I'm also part of the BPD group, which is based where I live, who have helped me so much. I have finally met some amazing people who understand me and who know exactly how I'm feeling. I've met some lifelong friends through that group. I can only see my see me, my living moving forward. I'm hoping to work with people that have been abused just like me and help make their lives even slightly bit better. I'm planning on starting a family with my family in the next year. I won't let what my, my mum did to me define how I live my life. Don't get me wrong, there's still a long journey ahead of processing all the abuse and learning how to love myself and appreciate what I have around me. She is still in my head. I can still hear her voice emotionally abusing me, but I'm hoping to get a place where I can silence that voice. I wanted to tell my story because there's so little data or information about mother-on-daughter abuse. I felt the need to hopefully help people that are dealing with this, that there is a future for us and a future of being okay because being okay is enough. I told you it was a big one. Huge thank you to that listener for sending in her story. So many elements within that. One of the things I, I particularly wanted to touch upon and it's something I would see a lot uh, with people that have been sexually abused by family, parents, or just experience ongoing sexual abuse in childhood. The listener had made the made the point that uh, she would start to when the mother would start to touch her, didn't feel right, it felt wrong, but my body would react. I always thought because this happened, it meant that I wanted to happen and that I enjoyed it. What I would typically say to clients in a situation like that is, your body reacted how your body is meant meant to react to sexual touch um at a young age we don't know what that is and i've very often seen many many clients who've gone through similar experiences carry a lot of shame around something like that but your body is reacting how it's meant to react and as a child none of that is on you you're in a position where a parent is meant to be the guardian is meant to be the source of comfort not the source of discomfort. And this is where we get into what the listener referred to as CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is where the trauma is experienced and the PTSD symptoms are as a result of ongoing traumas, whether that's physical abuse or sexual abuse or emotional abuse in childhood, typically by a caregiver. So just an important point that I wanted to touch on there because I know it's something that resonates with a lot of people that have gone through that. Uh, and a thank you to that listener for telling their story. If it's something you've gone through and you would like to come on and tell your story, absolutely, we'd love to We'd love to have you on because as the listener says, uh, mother on child, female child sexual abuse is, is not something we hear an awful lot about and can only thank that listener again for their bravery, for emailing in their story. With all of that being said, folks, I think the best thing to do, throw over to Suzanne to tell her story. So this week on the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast, we are crossing back over to the States, I'm imagining, given given the accent that, that, that I've been hearing so far. And we are crossing over to have a chat to a former uh, Miss Arab USA. Is that right? That's right. That's right. We, we, we can get into all of that as well as we do. But this week we are talking postnatal depression. Uh, I'm a man. This isn't something I'm specifically versed in, but this is actually something I can speak on as having experienced a little bit of it uh, myself as a man. But I can't speak to that point. But the person that is going to speak to it, uh, amongst many other things, uh, is Suzanne <laughs> Yatim Aslam. Not not not, not an easy thing to be saying for for an Irishman, yeah, but, but given it's a not easy. 
you, you, you've got some, you've got some affinity to Ireland, as I understand it as well, Suzanne, and maybe some explaining <sighs> to do. <laughs> I can imagine there's been some, some questions asked. <laughs> there's some questions about my youngest child, I will say. They're not as short. So I read a book when I was nine. It was a fiction book. It just took place in Ireland. It really had nothing to do with Ireland. It just, it just took a place there about this little girl. And uh, they described the scenery so beautifully. And I grew up in the middle of the country where it rained a lot and we had a lot of fields and grass. And so um, whenever it would rain, I would go stand in the rain and I would close my eyes and I would pretend to be in Ireland. And I did this for years. And so I just hyped up this beautiful place in my head just from reading one book. And uh, actually 10 years ago this year, my husband said, you know, surprise, uh, I'm going to take you to Ireland, we're going to go. And I was really nervous because since I was nine, I had thought about this place and I'd always wanted to go. And of course, you know, when you imagine something for so long, you hype it up and there's no Mm. way it's going to be as wonderful as you have it in your head. And it was so much more incredible than I had in my head. Uh, It was just the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. And I, there's something about the people and the energy and the 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 scenery that just speaks to my soul. I don't know if I live there in another life or what, but so uh, our second child, I named him Ronan. He is 50% Palestinian, 25% Pakistani, and only, so he's about a quarter white, but he came out with red hair and blue eyes <laughs> and really fair skin. And I think when I decided to give him an Irish name, he came out Irish. So we call him our little Irish baby. All right. Uh, I, I'm hoping there was no questions asked around people that little look, trip to Ireland. I was like, people, sure, people you love Ireland. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> people have asked if my kids have the same father. Yeah. Strangers. So, yeah, there's some questions. But the affinity for Ireland was there. What what parts did you visit while you were here, Suzanne? Um, I did a small village tour. We were only there for a week. So, uh, Kilkenny, Kinsale, uh, spent just a day in Dublin. Um, but we were really more interested in the villages. Gosh, where mm. else did we go? There's a, a, two other places around there that we went. I can't remember the names. Um, to pop around Kerry, Killarney, that kind of thing. That's generally oh, the, oh, we were the in, touristy um, spots. Adelaide? Is that it? it was, it's in Cork. It starts with an A. Okay. I can't remember. Um, it was we wonderful. Down, we, down, we south, were there for down south anyway. Munster, yeah, we were in the south. Kilkenny, Cork, mm-hmm. right where, where are you? Uh, I'm in the Midlands, so I'm about uh, 50 minutes uh, inward from from Dublin city. So okay, um, but almost almost in the middle. You know, no no rivers, no water, <laughs> just loads um. of grass. <laughs> so if you were driving if, as you were driving from Dublin to Cork, you would have passed through the Corra of Kildare, which is the kind of centre. Let, me, let horse, me tell you, I got I we got bamboozled, and never again. Okay. Uh, we get to the air, we get to the airport and we had a rental car and the guy in front of us, the, uh, he, the person working at the rental car place says to the guy in front of us, uh, Hey, you're going to get an upgrade. And he goes, absolutely not. I don't want an upgrade. And he yells and he gets really mad. And we're like, man, what's this guy's problem? Um, he, they're like, well, then you have to wait three hours for a car. And he's like, I will wait. I will not have an upgrade. And then, so we walk up and they're <laughs> like, Hey, you can get upgrade. We're like, yeah, we're getting upgrade. We got this giant vehicle not realizing that that was such a dumb idea. So we're driving down these <laughs> tiny little roads that you little can't fit two roads. cars. Yes, but you manage to fit two cars, but there's no shoulders. We have no, it was so terrifying. Um, 
so I will never do an upgrade. <laughs> and you're on the other side of the road. <laughs> on top exactly. of all that. I hope that was the extent of being bamboozled. I hope, I hope that it was ended it. there. Yeah. It was good. wonderful. Good stuff. Before we kick off, Suzanne, one of the things we do on the podcast is we have our, our little feature, Smiles and Riles. So this is something mm. that's made us smile recently, something that's got us riled, something that's pissed us off or got us down or whatever it may be. As, as our guest, how, how would you like to start? Would you like to go with a smile or a rile? Oh, let's start with smile. Riles are more fun. We should save that for the last. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, uh, what made me smile? Yesterday, my son we were driving down the street and we saw a teacher that is no longer at his school. She's a little old lady. Um, and we, so I pulled over and he saw her and they both, he's seven and they both just started crying, seeing each other. And he, I miss you and I miss you and I wish I could see you. And so we exchanged phone numbers. She's this cute little old lady who speaks Spanish and she's got this beautiful little English accent. Um, and she's going to take him out for ice cream. And I just saw this connection between my son and this little old lady. And I can just see that they have, just two souls that really love each other and to see somebody really love your child. I mean, she was so overcome to have finally seen him. Um, it was the most beautiful thing that I had experienced in a really, really long time. It made me, it made me so happy. I just spent the rest of the night smiling, thinking about like, there's a person in the world that just adores my son to the point where she's just like overcome to see him. Mm. So, and vice versa. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was wow. beautiful. Just one of those beautiful little moments in life. What about you? What made you smile? What's got me smile? Um, so as listeners are, are familiar, I'm a psychotherapist. Um, and this is, it's, it's kind of a it's, a, it's a weird kind of smile, I suppose, because I had a couple of clients this week dealing with some very, very, you know, very heavy issues. Um, I spoke about it in the past, uh, a couple of episodes ago, as a as a royal of a, of a client. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the modern baby homes that were in Ireland uh, up until the 90s. So this is where mm. babies born out of wedlock and their mothers were, mm -hmm. quotation marks, sinners and all this sort mm -hmm. of stuff in the Catholic Church. And, you know, these were basically slave labor and they were beaten and sexually abused and stuff like that. So I had a client uh, who was an orphan and who, was, as a baby, was put into one of these institutions. And we've been working through an awful, an awful lot of very difficult stuff. But um, she's just kind of turned that corner, you know, which is just uh, someone that's starting to advocate for herself now, having never had anyone to advocate for her in her life. And, um, you know, just again, as you, as you said, just one of those beautiful moments where you're like, OK, we're, we're, we're getting there, you know, you, you know, and helping, helping to, you know, unburden a person, you know, that's yes. in her 70s you know, of getting through that. Wow. And then had a, another client who had a history of addiction and, you know, he was in recently and he's been seeing me for a couple of years. And again, just, you know, and, and has been making some wonderful progress, but as a therapist and any and the therapists that are listening, sometimes you just got, you have a session. It's like, that was a big one. Um, mm. And, and for, for, with the two of those clients, they were big ones and, and both, you know, extremely grateful uh, for the help that I've given them. And it's the privilege of the job, you know, and, you know, you, you deal with very diff difficult things and uh, to be able to sit and to help someone get to that point in their life is, um, it, it is, it is a privilege and that can be a bit of a cliche, you know, because sometimes, you know, you're just, you may be generally counseling someone, maybe a little bit depressed or someone might be a little bit of anxiety, but when you're dealing with the kind of the deep seated kind of stuff, um, mm -hmm. and helping people come out of that and and I get a lot of clients that come in that have had a lot of a lot of childhood trauma and 
I always say it to them. I was like, look, I'm going to sound like I'm a little bit twisted, but I love working with this stuff. And I said, mm-hmm. the reason I love working with this stuff is I know the change that can happen in your life. Mm-hmm. I know I can help you to feel to feel better. I know we can work through all of this. And that gives them a lot of hope. You know, I remember I had, I had a client before and she literally, she clasped her hands in a praying and she was thanking me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I never thought I could actually be this happy as we, and we worked through a lot of, a lot of trauma and just to be in a position to do that, you know, to have an impact. That's, that's you know, so the, rewarding. That's incredible. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, and just, um, again, just a beautiful moment, just a connectedness yes. between the people as, as your son with his teacher and, you know, mm-hmm. as another human being, being able to witness and, um, you know, really kind of get that person to, lay down that that baggage that that they've carried yes. for so long that's that's made them who they are and how they are and helped them to get to a, to a better place um and to find hope through all of that it's incredible yeah, absolutely and that's 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 exactly what i was uh, what i said to these clients and any any client with depression you know when they start talking about the future it's like okay there's hope yeah you know, because what you know what are we without hope you know right. it's but when you can get to that point of going and I think how she, she phrased it beautifully, she's like, um, something like, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel yet, but I know it's coming. Mm. And it's like, wow, you know, that's mm. that's not the position she was in uh, not so wow. long ago. Um, and so it's just, just beautiful moments, sim- similarly to, to your son. And um, I think it's really great that somebody in her 70s is thinking you know what there's still hope i'm gonna go my life is not over yet mm-hmm. and i'm gonna get the help that i need yeah and she sought it out and she's actually doing the work that's that's beautiful Absolutely. it's never it too late yeah it really is so that's that's my smile this week uh i, yeah, I think both of us there that kind of beautiful human connection in in, in mm-hmm. different in different forms yeah mm-hmm. what about a royal suzanne what, what have you got for me Oh, oh my God! So I, <laughs> uh, please, please watch you. Please watch the YouTube video of this so you can just see oh, Suzanne's face. Just, she goes, oh. I, I just sometimes people just they just piss me off. It's not even. I'm, I'm. I think I'm making it sound like it's a lot bigger than it is. But I just see people do things, and it just pisses me off. So I have a huge. I live in the desert. We live in Arizona and Phoenix, and I hate that people don't understand that it's a drought and that, hey, don't waste water, man. Just don't waste fucking water. It's water, (laughs) it's life. Mm -hmm. And people are so casual and cavalier about it. And so I, twice this week, dealt with people in my home who might see this podcast and I'm very sorry, but you already know, so it's fine because I yelled at you. (laughs) Um, They will leave the water running. They offer to do my dishes and I always try to say no, but sometimes I can't. And they'll do this and they'll leave the water running and then they will go tend to something way on the other side of the kitchen, way yonder. And the water's just going and going and going. And I have physical, it's physically painful to, I, I can't, I can't. And then I go and I shut it off and then I walk away and I'm being very passive aggressive and they come back and they do, they do it again and the water's running and I walk over and I turn it off and, and, and it's just this fight and it happened twice. And I, like I just want to scream at everybody who does this because I don't understand why people don't understand that water is a precious resource anywhere in the world, mm. let alone here in the desert. And we're just acting like, you know, it's not a problem. So, oh, um, <laughs> I get it. That happened twice this week, but it's all the, it's actually all the time. 
all the time. Yeah, I seen I seen a great meme recently, and it was something like the, the asshole was like, "Why do you care so much about the environment?" Because I live there. <laughs> it's like, not a hard concept. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm the same. You know, turn the water off, turn the turn the lights off, and you know we oh. get plenty. As, as I'm sure you know, we get plenty of rain here in Ireland. And um, mm. but yeah, ab- absolutely the same. I always say, you know, they're the kind of things, and I always feel like I've always said, I've said it multiple times on the podcast. Like like Larry David is is my spirit animal. Like, you know, the things that piss. I'm just I'm, I'm just so far just a. a a couple of years off being full-blown Larry David and Kirby enthusiasm with the annoyances and people and, you know, just making a big deal out of things. And it's like, yeah, it's like, I get it. I get it. I just, I get, get, it. I just get riled I get... up. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so what riles you up almost, Larry David? Uh, the other side, uh, the weather. <laughs> so it's cold. It's fucking cold. It's windy. It's rainy. The wind has been howling here uh, all day. Um, it's meant to play golf with my friends. Uh, no golf. Uh, rained off stuff like that but i absolutely hate the cold i currently have a t-shirt on i have a polo neck on and i have a wool uh, wool kind of quarter zip on as well for our for our listeners and i met my friend says like oh we just look we just we just go to the driving range and they're like fuck you you like you dress you you're going out clubbing i was like i've got a base layer on i've got a polo on i've got a quarter zip on and i've got a big woolen coat on i said i fucking hate the cold hate it i fucking hate it (laughs) You are in the wrong place, my friend. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah. Well, I've got the skin color for it. I've got the skin mm. tone that says I'm in the right That's place. <laughs> so, uh, but, but outside of that, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been a royal multiple times on the podcast. I just fucking hate being cold. I'm, I'm, I'm not building. Mm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the autism in me. Maybe I'm just hypersensitive uh, to the cold. I don't know. But I know one thing. I love the fucking heat. <laughs> I was in Dubai. Ah. It was 42 degrees. I was like, I'll fucking take this. Oh really? <laughs> I'll take you this. You like yeah. that? To be fair, I was Ooh. sitting beside a swim pool with a cocktail, so that helped. I one time I heard somebody <laughs> say that does help. That really helps. Yeah. It just takes all of your cares away. Yeah. I heard one somebody say once, "There's no such thing as bad weather, only bad gear." Bad, bad clothing. Yeah, apparently mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you can't do that in, for example, in Phoenix. Once it's really hot, there's just no, I mean, what, what, do you do? what temperatures do you get up to there? You're gonna get you're um, gonna get hot there. Well, we're we're in Fahrenheit, but we're at uh, we get to 120 sometimes. Okay, let me let me convert that into into like Celsius 45? here. Forty eight, nearly forty nine. Forty eight. Yeah. Wow, forty eight point eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, but keep hot. running the fucking water. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> turn the fucking taps off. Just whichever one it. of you it is, turn it off. Turn the taps off. <laughs> oh, sorry, faucet. As you might call it, we call them the taps. It's okay. I know taps. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's the smiles and riles out of the way, Suzanne. Tell us a little bit, mm. a little bit more about yourself outside of being oh. in Arizona and being pissed oh, off by people. <laughs> people just, I just, mm, all right, totally understand the Larry David thing. Uh, <laughs> I am originally from St. Louis, which is in the middle of the country. Um, came here to Phoenix as an adult. I love it here. I live in Scottsdale. So it's like, like resorts and golf courses and fancy cars and palm trees. It's really, really beautiful, even when it's hot. Um, and I, as you said, I was Miss Arab USA uh, about a decade ago, um, which was what is that a, a for our little, listeners, Suzanne? A fun little blip. Um, uh, I don't like talking yeah. about it much. It was, uh, it was just a, I used to be an actor um, for a small, uh, decent amount of time in my yeah. early adult life and you too is that what you said mm-hmm. oh yeah. look at that we need to talk about this yeah um uh so i 
was acting out here and uh, they had this pageant Miss Arab USA so it was it was for people who had at least one parent that was uh, you know that had immigrated from the Middle East my parents are both from Palestine so um I signed up for this contest because I as an actor sort of you know wanted to get a little recognition and have a platform to also yeah, talk yeah. Mm-hmm, exposure and I, I was also a human rights major so I wanted to you know have a platform to be able to talk about human rights issues that I really cared about and I won and so I just spent the year doing that stuff and talking about that stuff and um it was okay it was it wasn't like I don't even think I mentioned it in my book I don't know why it just never it didn't really stick out to me that mm. much um but the acting I really, really loved. That was mm-hmm. probably the most fun I've ever had. I mean, you know, you know what it's like. I'm talking to yeah. a fellow actor. The thrill, the rush you get, whether it's on mm-hmm. stage or on film, there's mm-hmm. something about it that I've never experienced anywhere else. And I can't, I don't know how to duplicate it. It's, it's so unique. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and I see that in any any actor friends, and I don't I don't think non actors can get it. It's just. It's just something that gets in your bones, you know, and mm-hmm. it's it's just always there. And you know, I don't think it's there's there's few moments in life where you ever feel so alive as as on well, particularly for myself yes. on stage. It's it's an incredible incredible experience. Uh, yeah, that is really that is really where I do. I feel the most alive when I'm playing mm. somebody else when I'm not me. There's mm. a little therapy I need on that, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think a lot of people like that though in acting. Mm. I think you like sort of escaping out of your own head and falling into the head of another character and, you know, mm. getting the chance to analyze them in a way that's not judgmental. Cause I think we can judge ourselves really mm. hard, but we know you're not supposed to judge your character. So we just sort of get to be this person without any judgment. Um, and it's just really fun to kind of fall into their world. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is, and it's getting to, to walk in someone else's shoes, you know, and mm-hmm. I always, I always liken therapy to, to acting uh, because I think the two of them come down to the same thing. One is empathy. You know, mm. as that empathy for your own character and uh, just listening because because yes. good acting is just listening you know when you're when you listen you're in the moment you're not just thinking about your next line and as, as a therapist you're sitting there and you're listening and as an actor if you're listening then you're you're going to be in the moment and you you know it's it's your reaction is, is natural and you're not just waiting yes. for them for their last word because that's your cue to to say your line and stuff like that. So Right. You know, I actually I I noticed I felt like um learning acting when I would when I would be in acting classes, I, I realized that actually when you're working on that craft, it tends to make you a better person because the things that you need to work on, um, learning to speak slowly, which isn't about being a you know, good or bad, but it's just about like you kinda kinda helps you. Um, mm. listening, as you said. We don't we're not always necessarily very good at that um, understanding cues and things like that and how people react. And, and so I, I think just there's certain aspects of learning the craft that actually can make you a more holistic person yeah. that I just really, really, really appreciate. This is a mental health podcast. Suzanne, tell us about what's brought you onto this podcast for All our right. listeners so. and our viewers over Suzanne's right shoulder expertly placed oh. is her book. <laughs> but before there was a book, there was the experience that led to the book. Mm-hmm. Tell That's us a right. little bit about that. So uh, I had a baby uh, seven years ago, and I hated it. I felt no connection to Sammy. 
I don't, not sure that I loved him. I would tell myself I love him and I would tell him I love you. But I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saying it because I know I need to say it, but I didn't feel it. And then I, I, would, I got really mad. And um, so anyway, and we'll talk about this, like what it, what it looked like ha- having it. But I was, I had postpartum depression and I didn't know that I had it. So what I thought was because I got it at the same time I became a mom, I just thought being a mom sucked. I just thought like, oh my God, why would people do this? This is horrible. Um, and I had not had a history of mental health issues before. So it didn't occur to me that that's a possibility. Um, so I just kind of walked around in this fog, hating life and hating motherhood and telling anybody I could find, even just pers- the person checking me out at the grocery store, don't do it. You know, I mean, and I was really, I was going, cra- I was going crazy. Um, but like telling people, you know, like, unless you're dying to have a baby, don't even think about it, you know? And I, I just was, I don't know. There was something in me that just was really like upset about the choices that other people were thinking of making um, regarding children. So I was like, they don't understand. This is a terrible idea. So anyway, um, I came out of it. And um, what really frustrated me was my inability to discuss it with other people because you can have postpartum depression and say like, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed and I'm depressed about going back to work and you know things like that. But if I've ever tried to say, I don't like my kid, you are not allowed to say that. It sounds like you're a horrible person. And so I, I didn't really feel like there was a space where I could say these really dark thoughts that I was having. Mm. It just wasn't safe. It wasn't okay. Cause you can't go around talking like that about your own fucking kid, you know? So um, I stopped talking about it and I wanted to write this book to give women the understanding and, and kind of the permission to to say like, okay, I am having these dark thoughts too. I'm not by myself. This doesn't make me a terrible person. Maybe I just need some help. Um, and I did it in the form of journal entries. So when you're reading it, you're just reading what appears to me. And, and they're all they're all true stories. But then I went back because I love acting and I couldn't act after I had kids. I took to writing to make, mm. cause I love stories. The reason that you love acting is cause you love stories, right? Mm. So um, I, I, even though the, the, like the, most of the dialogue is made up, but all the stories are true and they all, they all really happened. Um, so I, but I did it in the form of journal entries so I can tell my journal, my really dark thoughts that I didn't feel comfortable saying. And you can just read all the shit that was in my head um, that wasn't allowed to be expressed. So hopefully, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, like a, in some ways it's, there's a little bit of dark comedy in it. In some ways it's a little light comedy. When you come out of it, you come out of it hopeful. Um, but I just wanted to hold a mama's hand and just let them know it's okay. Hmm. Yeah. I guess um, I've actually had a couple of clients specifically say it to me as, as mothers that they specifically chose a man because they would feel judged uh, mm. by a female therapist around parenting. I can see that. I can really see that. It makes sense because if you haven't experienced it, but you were a woman and you loved your child from before they were conceived, it's kind of hard to be like, but how, but no, they're beautiful, you know, but that's not your, your feeling. And it's just really unfair to assume that because we're all women and we're all capable of giving birth, that we're all going to feel the same way about it or that we have a mental health issue that completely has, it's like its own separate beast, you know, like motherhood's hard. Mm. Um, and the feelings that you have after all the, like the hormones and all that shit is hard. But then when you add that on top of it, it's just, it's just too much. And as and you said, not everybody was, understands it. Yeah. There, there was no history of, uh, any mental mm-hmm. health issues for yourself prior to that. Mm-hmm. 
So you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're blindsided by what's meant to be the most beautiful experience and life changing. Life. And it was, it was weird because it was shocking because everybody tells you this is how it's supposed to be. And this is what it's going to be. And you're going to like all the TV shows and movies you've ever seen are always the same script. Um, even like every single TV show, somebody, somebody's water breaks and then they rush to the hospital. And then I, my water broke and I did not rush to the birthing center because they're like, well, are you contracting? I'm like, no, they're like, well, go back to sleep. And, and it was so anticlimactic, but you know, you have this idea in your head of what it's like and you sort of create, and I didn't realize this until later, but we all because of media have created sort of an amalgamation of, of certain life events and how they are portrayed. And mm. then when they, they don't, when, when your life doesn't follow that, you're like, wait, what, wait, wait. And there's, there's a, there's a lot of shock factor that I didn't realize I would fall into like the trap of, of that being like, Oh, media is not real. <laughs> but if you've always watched somebody goes into mm. their, their water breaks and they rush to the hospital, you just have to assume that that's kind of how it works. Mm. That's not how, the media isn't real, says two former actors. <laughs> the two fucking people who should know better. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. Was what did it look like, Suzanne? I mean, was it instant? Was it you know as soon as soon as your son's born? Is it like just not feeling it, or is it a gradual thing that came on you? What, what did that period? Uh, look like? If there's anything that anybody listening takes away um, about what postpartum looks like. Uh, this is, this is, you could just listen to this part. Um, when you first have a baby, you have something called baby blues that is very normal mm. and it, it lasts two, maybe three weeks and you will feel, you can feel, you may not, you it doesn't, it, it's always different, but you could feel, um, you burst into tears for absolutely no reason. Your body just shaking because labor is a, it's a traumatic event for your body. Um, you, uh, you're not sleeping. You're, we have like, like physical aches, like my bones ached. Um, it comes sort of felt like fibromyalgia, like just a constant aching. And at one point, like, you know, it was was even difficult to hold my son. Um, and so you sort of have just these emotional ups and downs. They call them baby blues Mm. because you're just, you're bluesy. Mm. Um, but then it goes away. And so you sort of settle in and your hormones sort of, you know, readjust. Um, I did, I never came out of that. So all of the, like the lack of connection, the constant, I, you know, cry a lot. I was very, very angry. I couldn't connect with my partner. Um, I constantly had this fog. Are you, are you, are you a Harry Potter fan by chance? Me? Yes, I am. Okay. So, <laughs> I watch the Harry um, Potter movies every Christmas. <laughs> I love it. I got my little Potter guys right here. My little. Oh, you got um, Harry and Ron. Uh, yeah. Um, so what it feels like is a Dementor who's just hanging out right here, just slowly sucking mm. any potential joy out of you. And I was left with feeling nothing. I mean, I was just so numb. And then there would be really weird moments that would make me explode. It was very, very strange. Like I, you're so, so I'm slowly building up all this depression and then something really stupid. Like my grandfather, my father-in-law, uh, he drank my juice and I lost my shit. 
lost my shit because he drank my fucking juice. It was the only good thing I had in the world was this juice from this restaurant that he went and got his dinner and he was going to bring this really good yummy juice. And it was like the only happy moment in my depressing life where I'm stuck in this condo with this kid who I can't get to stop crying. And he hurts me when I'm nursing him and I don't want to feed him. And I'm angry and confused and just miserable. And I'm in a fog and he drank my fucking juice. And I lost it. And I just like, I felt so alone and he's laughing and my husband's laughing because they think it's funny. Like he accidentally drank my juice. He thought it was cucumber water that they were handing to him while he waited for the takeout. So he was like, they have such great customer service. They gave me, (laughs) and I was like, no, that's not customer service. Um, So anyway, just like, so things like that, I, I would lose my shit because I was looking for small moments of joy. And when I couldn't get them, it was really it was so much bigger for me. And also your world is really, really small. So something like mm. juice is actually a really big deal. You know, when you're stuck in a, in a place all by yourself with a newborn baby, you can't go anywhere. You're afraid. Also, it's really hot. Um, so there were just weird things like that, that um, just pulled you in this fog. And I had a hard time. This is a weird one. I had a hard time distinguishing my reality. Like I, I, kept feeling like I was in such shock that I kept thinking that I was dreaming and I kept waiting to be woken up from my dream. And I was so devastated by having a child that I, I don't even know if I believe in God. And I was sitting here going like, God, please wake me up. I need this to not be real. It was really, really, really hard. Um, And when I would say that to like, I remember I said that to somebody and they were like, no, no, he's healthy. You have a good life. Thank God. And there was never any like, oh my God, that's so hard. I can't believe you're feeling that way. What is that like? No, never. It was just to essentially count your blessings, which is a horrible thing to hear when you're feeling that way. Mm. You don't really feel blessed. You really don't. You can't, you can't make, I didn't realize this because again, I had never been depressed before. You can't make logical conclusions. You just can't. You can't be like, you know what? Yeah, he is healthy and I'm healthy and the pregnancy was good and the labor was fine and we came out of it great and I'm 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 healthy and uh oh, oh I don't have to work. I can stay home with the baby. What a bless. No. No. You just see only bad and you are in so much pain all the time. It's either pain or just numb. And people trying to tell you to be grateful is um a really shitty thing to hear because then it just makes you feel like a bad and ungrateful person it just compounds the whole thing for you. you're feeling shitty mm-hmm. enough then without without adding all of that onto it because like oh i should be grateful but i'm not so uh, mm-hmm. i'm gonna feel even worse yeah yeah I'm like mm-hmm. what the fuck's wrong with me why am i not feeling all yeah. those things and when we're in when we're in emotional distress like that and you know we we, we can't use our mind to control our mind and this is why a lot of clients will come to me and they might have a history of trauma and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, CBT. I'm like, CBT isn't for everything. You know, and, and we mm-hmm. can't utilize CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, when we're in the height of distress because you're literally not thinking clearly. Mm. We can't we can't think clearly. Um, so we need to be emotionally regulated and we need to connect with our body and, you know, calm our autonomic nervous system. Then we might be able to start to, to, to think a little bit clearer and you know as you said and and i i'm a i'm a big one on it on the podcast around you know this toxic positivity you know um smiling smiling through clenched teeth and pretending everything is great and and, you know clients clients like yourself to make them in and go you know what 
Sometimes you just gotta fucking acknowledge yeah, it's fucking shit. This is fucking mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. I have a really hard time with this, and I still try to remind myself of this. Um, my parents are immigrants, and they lived under oppression. Um, nobody understands this better than Irish people. It's another reason I love you guys so much mm. because you guys are <laughs> our biggest supporters. Um, but they grew up under oppression and it was really hard. And my mom was imprisoned at the age of 12 um, more than once. And sometimes my family who still lives there, you know, as collective punishment, they get their water turned off. Uh, my aunts had some of her land taken away. I mean, really terrible shit. And I'm over here in Scottsdale and which they call Snotsdale because it's a very <laughs> affluent area um, with my very healthy baby and my gorgeous model husband. And uh, I'm being a little bitch is how I would hear myself. You know, the you know those arguments you have in mm. your head. I'm like, you're being a fucking bitch. Like you, you know what real suffering is like. And I've been back to Palestine. I've seen it. I, I know. I know what real suffering is like. I was a human rights major. I, my eyes were very open. Um, so to bitch about something like that made me feel really, really guilty. And I felt a lot of shame around it because I didn't feel like I had any allowance to say, I'm sad. It's like, it's like, fuck you, you know, you're sad, you know? And, Mm. And so I would always, always downplay my feelings because I didn't think that my feelings were valid because somebody on the other side of the world doesn't have water and is being imprisoned just based on their identity, you know? And so I've always, even now, sometimes I just struggle with like allowing myself to feel whatever it is that I'm feeling and say like, Hey, that's okay. You don't have to always compare yourself to somebody who has it worse than you. I told my therapist recently, I'm like, I just feel weird talking about this because you know, stuff that happens when you're a kid. I'm like, cause I'm fine. Like I'm fine. And my parents loved me and I was safe. And she goes, yeah, but you were safe and you were loved, but your emotional needs weren't met. Mm-hmm. And a child needs their emotional needs. And if they're not met, then that means that you were you missed out on something and that's okay. And it was really, really, I have to keep telling myself that over and over again because it's a really hard concept for me to accept that you can still like, thank God, have all of these really great things in your life and then still struggle emotionally and that still be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd often say it to clients, you know, to kind of move out of that either or kind of mindset, the black or white mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. more into the yes and. So yes, I've got all of this and I've also got all of that. I love that. You're using an improv line. Yes, and. Yes, and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is because okay. it, it's very common clients that come into me and, you know, whatever they're going through, oh, no, look, I'm sure you've heard a lot worse than me. Like, and I'm sure, yeah. you know, and like that, you know, and there's, you know, people without water and there's, there's this and there's that. It's like, look, I said, that's okay in big picture, kind of, you know, let's, mm. okay, we, we might need a little bit of perspective. But it's all relative, and and there's no hierarchy of suffering. This is this experience is your experience, and this is for you to go through. And I said, look, don't worry about everyone else that walks in that door. I'll worry about them when they walk in. Hmm. This is your experience in the here and now. Let's let's just worry about you. Let's just focus on what you're going through. Leave everyone else out of it, and let's hmm. just look at what you're going through. And, and a lot of people need go to hear that. I go, this is you. This is you. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of a tough guy mentality, isn't it? You know, it's kind of what you said before about the toxic positivity. You know, we just want to be like, hey, Alan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, mm-hmm. and, and you just want to 
I'm not going to be like, I'm doing terribly, you know, that's not the script that we have all collectively decided to run together. Yeah. The amount of times I've had that conversation with clients that come in, you've been in Ireland, you know, we're, we're fierce fond of the expression, I'm grand. How's things? Ah, sure, I'm grand. Mm -hmm. I'm grand. Mm -hmm. Clients that come in, how have you been? Ah, grand. I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I can tell by their demeanor. I can tell by their body language. I can tell by They're their face. Grand. I can tell by their tone of voice. <laughs> I can tell by absolutely everything about them. I was like, uh, and then they go, all right, so how was your week? Oh, actually, it was, it was shit and this happened. I was like, oh, <laughs> so not grand. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I suppose not. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? But that's the script we run. Script, My absolutely. husband always says, live, live, live in the dream. That's what he says. That's yeah. his line. <laughs> I, I have a friend. I'm living the dream. That's his exact one as well. Yeah, live in the dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. Um, so, but you, I mean, you're compounded left, right, and center. Then, Suzanne. I mean, you're you're faced with this wonderful experience. This, oh, it's amazing. It's this. It's that. You you don't get that. So already, your quotation marks for listeners: the bad mother. What's wrong with me? I'm experiencing mm -hmm. this. I'm feeling this. Why aren't I connected? Why aren't I that? And then you've got the 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 immigrant mentality. Mm -hmm. of back you know back in palestine everything they're going through and then you throw that in there on top on top of it as well mm -hmm. just to compound the whole thing of going i have no reason to be feeling like this and i'm, I'm mm -hmm. maybe a shitty person for feeling this way or thinking this way yeah yeah and uh it just makes you spiral even more um there's it, there's really it's just sort of like just digging your own little hole here that you're falling into mm. and it's it's in, and it makes you feel even more and more isolated because you're having these dark thoughts and then you can't express them. And then you're like, Oh, I'm such a bitch for feeling these thoughts and how it's so stupid. And, um, and then, well, then you can't obviously can't talk about it. So then you want to just clamp up. So once I realized that I couldn't talk about it, I stopped talking about it. And then it just got worse. My emotions got worse. My relationship with my husband got worse. Um, Sammy was horrible. He just never slept. And, you know, at the time I was like, oh, Sammy's such a bad baby. And now I'm like, oh, it was my energy that he was feeding off of. And, you know, we're, we're so connected, him and I, when he was first born, and we're just feeding off of each other's <laughs> negative energy. But he's relying on me and I am not okay. And kids know, they feel that. They mm, intuit mm. it so easily. And he, I don't think he felt safe. Um, and so then he would get upset and then I would get upset that he was upset. And I didn't understand him and I didn't know what he wanted or needed. It was, it was miserable. And, you know, again, like a lot of that's just like being a mom is hard. No, you know? yeah. You're up in the middle, you're up in the middle of the night and you're like, why won't you stop crying? I, I did everything. Um, so compounding that, as you said, with like an actual mental health issue um, and then not knowing. Mm. <sighs> this is what I want from mental health professionals. I really want more digging after a mom is born because they're like essentially you're either fine or they'll intervene when you're like suicidal or you might harm the baby you know there's really mm. not like a okay well what if you're like a seven mm. you know um and that really really bugs me because more people are in that category than all the way at number 10 you know doing something that's harmful mm. so why uh, why aren't we intervening more why aren't we what i want is all the resources right up front i want to be bombarded with the resources and then if i don't need them you can slowly back off but instead you have to go out digging for all of these resources that you that you need but you're not in a state to look for help or ask for help so how do you get it if it's not in your face mm. and particularly if you don't know what it is <laughs> what's going on exactly yeah exactly
Exactly. Did you express to people how you were feeling? These thoughts? Did you ever verbalize them to anyone around you? Or was this your dark little secret that you kept inside your own it was head? My, it was my dark it was my dark little secret. And that's such a big problem. Um, but I, 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 we talked about this at the beginning. I wasn't good at um, advocating for myself. So like your, your client who's only 70 and is just now able to advocate for herself. Mm. It's a huge deal. And most of us aren't very good at that. Um, so I did not advocate for myself. And my husband actually would, he didn't know what was wrong. He just knew that I was struggling with something. Um, and sometimes he would stay home and work from home because he uh, wanted to keep an eye on me, but he didn't tell me this, but he's like, I, I just didn't know what you were going to do. Um, so he would just sort of watch me. And um, so I, I had no idea. I had no idea. And I didn't tell anybody. And so I just got, and my husband and I, we just got further and further apart. And I don't think he really recognized me anymore. And then on top of all of that, I got, I had anxiety. So there's postpartum depression and then postpartum anxiety, which is its own little beast. And then sometimes you get a cocktail and they're both together and it's really wonderful. (laughs) Um, So there'd be moments where I'm like, something's wrong. And he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know, but something's wrong. Something's not right. And then I would just be panicky and he couldn't help me because he didn't know, he didn't know how they don't really equip dad with these tools. Um, So yeah, it was just kind of coming and going dealing with, weird emotional stress um and i didn't i didn't really share it with anybody i would share that like something's wrong but i wouldn't share like i'm not okay i never said that hmm. to go through all of that as i said in, in your own head yeah yeah um it's the hardest part for me now is thinking like how much time i wasted with sammy you know, like it really hurts me to think that because he is the, he is the most darling little soul on the planet. He's like a, he's who, who I want everybody to be in terms of kind. He's so, so, so kind. And he's so, he's, he, you know, he, he's mad that we want to pull the grass up from the side of the house because like, you can't hurt the grass, you know, he's so, he's so beautiful. And to think that like, I didn't want that child mm. is really, really hard. And sometimes it still upsets me to think that I felt that way about, about him. Um, but that was just my, that was my reality. And it's just really hard to contend with that when you're not aware that your reality isn't necessarily, it, it's valid, but it's not objectively real. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. How long were you feeling like that, Susan? Um, overall, between both depression and anxiety, it was about two years, um, maybe a little bit more the depression started to subside, but the anxiety stayed through my second child after Ronan was born. And then um, when it went away, I remember my last panic attack. And um, when the, when Sammy started going to school after I had Ronan, a few months after I had Ronan, I put Sammy in school so I could have a little alone time with Ronan. Cause I'd still have these thoughts like, Oh, I should give him some quality time. Okay. Um, so I put, I put Sammy in school for three days a week, three half days. That was it. Cause he was two and a half. Um, and then, but there was a point during that time where Ronan would nap. So then I would be by myself. I was alone in the middle of the day and I got to recharge. And this is something that I like to talk to moms about. I, there's a difference between recharging in the middle of the day 
physically and emotionally and mentally mm-hmm. than recharging after a 14, 16 hour day where you probably didn't sleep very much the night before anyway. So um, getting that time where I could just, I love to read. Um, so just sit and read and drink a cup of coffee while Ronan was asleep and Sammy was at school did more for me than, for example, like, oh, hey, guess what? You're going to go visit your sister in six weeks. Well, that's nice. But what do I do like between now and six weeks? I need, I need daily recharges. Um, so for me, I think like what I would like to advise moms is that you need a daily break as opposed to like, okay, six weeks from now, I'm going to be at the beach. Mm, that's not as, that's mm-hmm. nice to have that to look forward to, but that's not how we get through every day. So um, that, that's when I started to see it, that it got that it got better. And I actually, I noticed a physical difference and it was very, very cool. I got mad at the kids. And you before this, when I had depression and I would get mad at the kids, your body starts to feel so heavy. So I would feel it happening. Like I was very aware, you know, I was fine. And then I got mad. And then all of a sudden I would tense up and the, the darkness would just show up and everything was black and it was horrible. And I was in physical pain, physical and mental pain. And I remember one day I got mad at the kids and I was waiting for it. Here it comes. Cause you know, now you've created this, this sort of this routine in your head and your body likes um, consistency. So your body's waiting for like this thing that always Mm -hmm. happens. You get mad. This is how you feel. You get mad. This is how you feel. So I got mad at the kids about something and I waited for it and it didn't come. And the vast difference was so shocking to me that I actually was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's not here. Oh my God, it's not here. And it was really, really uplifting. And then it kept happening like, or, or not happening, you know, where I would like, I'd have a hard time because you're going to have a hard time with an infant and a toddler. So I would have the hard time. But then once the hard time was over, everything was fine as opposed to just like, you know, feeling that sense of dread and hopelessness for the rest of the day. So it was really cool to see kind of like physical signs of it relieving itself. You'd had that experience with Sammy. What's what's going through your mind then as, you know, Ronan's cooking away inside of you? you with the expectation it's going to happen again or what, what what's going through your head at that point? Um, I didn't want Ronan because after I had Sammy, I was like, I can't go through this again. Like whatever this is, I can't do it again. But I looked at Sammy sitting on the floor playing with a toy by himself. And I thought, I don't want him to have a life without a sibling. And whatever I'm going through, this cannot be forever. But if I choose not to have a baby for him, he will forever not have a brother or sister. And so my husband and I made the choice to have a second baby knowing like, okay, it's going to be hard. Like I just accepted the fact that it was going to be hard, but, and I was really nervous and pretty, pretty scared about it. Um, uh, and for some reason, my anxiety flared up with Ronan. I think it might've just been, you know, two kids is really hard. And so you're even more, uh, afraid, I guess. Um, it's hard to take care of one kid and make sure that he's safe and healthy and, and isn't going to, they're like little suicide machines. Um, they're always trying to kill themselves. It's so frustrating. So now, now I have two and Ronan is a wild child. Um, he's my little Irish baby. Mm-hmm. So he's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, so he, it was, it was, it was scary. 
it was really, really scary, but I knew like, okay, but I'm going to do this for Sammy. And I'm really glad that I did. Cause he's got this little best friend and they're crazy about each other and they fight, but it's normal. Um, and I always joke about, I'm like, oh, whatever. I don't say it to him, but I like, I'll say it to Kasim, my husband, Kasim. Um, whenever one of them gets mad at the other, I'm like, we only made Ronan. So he can have, so Sammy can have a playmate. They need to get along. <laughs> That's his only job in life is to be a playmate for Sammy. <laughs> I can't tell him that he'll end up in really severe therapy. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully he doesn't Google you and find his podcast in years to come. <laughs> Sorry, Ronan. <laughs> oh, I hope, I hope mom and dad have made it up to you. <laughs> Just buy him stuff. It'll be fine. Yeah. Did Did you after after Sammy? I mean, did you get diagnosed with postpartum, or is it just what yeah. you went through? I mean, how how long before you get help? How long before supports are there? So, I I changed this a little bit for the for the um for the book for the sake of just the the timeline. But I had a friend who was in um she was getting her degree in some sort of like counseling. I can't remember what. And she was like, have you considered the fact that it might be postpartum depression? And I was like, what? Uh, no, because I just assumed that, oh, you're a depressed person. And then you have postpartum depression mm-hmm. after a baby, but you had to like have, you had to be like pre-qualified for it. Um, and so I sort of dismissed it at first and then things got worse. And then I, I went to therapy after Ronan. Um, and then that's when I realized how how bad it was and there were, she was like no no like this is a, this is a real thing you're going through a real thing um and i just sort of brushed it off as we said like you know i'm just going through a hard time um so but it took a really really long time because i just refused to accept the fact that it actually might be something bigger than me mm. so one thing i would really say is um you ha- if you're not okay you have to say that you're not okay and you might not necessarily know what that means. It might not be that you're depressed. It might just be that like you're overwhelmed and you need help and you need, you know, maybe to childcare or, or breaks and your husband steps in and takes care. Like, oh, who knows? But if you're not okay, nobody else is going to know that you're not okay. And nobody else is going to go, hey, I can see that you're not okay. Like, what do you need? Because everybody's just going on with their lives. And especially with dads, the best thing I think I've noticed and a lot of dads, I've talked to a lot of dads too, who like want to get inside the minds of their wives after children. Um, and they, their thing is like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to provide for my family because that's the this thing that I can do and I can do it well. And so I'm just going to go and do that. And they're, so they're not always at home as often as they could be or mm-hmm. should be because mm-hmm. they're doing the thing that they know that they should be doing. And it's a, it's a noble thing to do. They're going to go provide so I can take care of the baby. Um, so he's wrapped up in doing that and he has to rely on me to advocate for myself. Mm. Otherwise he's just going to think that I'm okay. And so the biggest thing that you can do to get help is to first help yourself. Yeah. And which is really hard. Yeah. It's and really, I, really I always hard. say to clients, it's, it's, it's one thing, you know, and it's such a catchphrase. It's okay not to be okay. You know, I don't know if you've got that over there. It's kind of a, it's a bit of a slogan over here on mental health. Yeah, it is okay not to be okay, but you have to tell someone. Like you said, you know, you do. don't, don't suffer in silence and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to say that to someone and go, you know what, I'm, I'm not doing too good at the moment, you know, or someone genuinely asking the question. And as you said, where we, where we don't run the script, not, you know, right. oh yeah, great, grand, not a bother. Well, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, 
just I'm just struggling at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we phrase it that way, like, hey, I'm struggling. I'm something's off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those provide cues for people because that's not something that you normally say. Cause I can say like, I fucking hate being a mom. That's like, that's funny. Or that's like, yeah, yeah. Welcome to the club. It's really like being a mom's hard and yeah, that yeah. can be dismissed. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's certain words I think that carry a little bit more weight, you know? So when you're sitting, I'm struggling, like, mm-hmm. this is something's off. I'm not okay. I think those sort of lens, it's like, wait, I'm listening where, you know, here's an ear. Um, which is hard because I just want somebody to like come in and take care of me. And I don't, you can't do that. Somebody, you have to take care of yourself first. And that's a really hard thing to accept, especially if you're depressed because you don't have the energy or the desire, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So when I found out I, I was depressed, I got really, really mad because I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I'm a, I'm a new mom and now I have to deal with a mental health issue. I don't have time for this, you know? And that like, it kind of pissed me off mm-hmm. that this is something that I have to deal with. Um, so you're not necessarily in a position to find the energy and desire to help yourself. Yeah. You'd mentioned there around, you know, the man being the, being the provider mm-hmm. kind of touched on it a little bit at the start. And uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't know if it's something I know. It's certainly something I've never spoken about on the podcast. I don't know if it's ever really something I've spoken about in life. And that was my own depression after, um, after the birth of my eldest son two children under the age of three. Uh, I was out of work at the time. And as you said, you know, the man, you're the provider, you know, you're meant to be, mm-hmm. you're meant to be out there. I have, you know, history of depression from, from adolescence and whatever my own childhood was and all of that. Uh, but I remember those days. I remember those days of, of not being able to, not being able to get out of bed, literally not being able to, to get out of the bed and, and dragging, dragging myself out of bed um, and trying to, trying to manage that. And Cameron, my my eldest son, who was he was a co-host on the podcast for for a time. Cameron had, was sick as a child. We didn't know, we didn't know as a baby, and like that, going fuck, like losing my mind because he wouldn't he wouldn't stop mm. he wouldn't stop crying. His his mom was working; she was at work. I was a, I was a stay at home dad for for a number of months. The fuck do I know about parenting? Like you know, mm. and and the struggle of as you said, they're like, why, why, I've done everything. Why, 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 why is he crying? And well, you know, and his, and his sister there and she's playing away and you know, it's, 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 it's tough. And, and, and postnatal depression, postpartum depression does affect men. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating just to go, Oh no, well, men go through it too, but men do go through it, you know, and, and it's, it's important for men to understand that that is something you, you, you can go through. And, mm-hmm it's 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 just so hard to be able to say you know like i said, I, I don't i actually i don't think i've ever had this conversation i honestly don't know if mm-hmm. i've ever had i've ever had this conversation but as any any of the regular listeners of the podcast know you know we're straight talking mental health straight talking mental health is, is sharing our own experiences and you know that that was my experience and uh because most of it caught up in that male provider it's, I'm the man. Yeah. I'm meant to be out working. Mm-hmm. I've just I've lost my mm-hmm. job. Uh, uh, my my partner, my my later wife, she you know she was working, and, and I'm at home as a man. They really don't fucking train mm-hmm. you for that shit as as a male. No, they don't. <laughs> and and, I've, mm-hmm. and there's two two children under under the age of three, and the difficulties that brought. But and but I remember those days of like the effort, the 
absolute effort to try and drag myself out of bed was it's unfathomable for anyone that, that hasn't gone through it to be able to just try and understand what, what it's like so yeah and knowing that you have to eventually drag yourself out of bed to take care of these children who can't take care of themselves Absolutely. you don't get the luxury of staying in bed yeah it's it's hard and then did you ever did you feel like not resentment towards them but just sort of a resentment maybe overall because you didn't get to wallow you had to get up and keep putting one foot in front of the other mm. and it's like well but why i don't want to i don't want to and i can't yeah and again the hats have been like yeah and again at the time not knowing what this is <laughs> You know, yeah. like uh, at this time, I'm you know we're in we're in the nineties in Ireland. Mental health, the fuck is that? <laughs> That's yeah. been, it yeah. wasn't even wasn't even a phrase. The, you know, mm-hmm. depression. What what what's that like? You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what you're feeling. You don't you don't know what you're going through. Um, and you know, as you said, then that, that anger then that you turn against yourself for not being able to manage yeah. or for not being better or for not you know whatever any any excuse to kick mm-hmm. the shit out of yourself. Just beat your, hit yeah. yourself while you're down. It's so easy to do that. Mm. And it's not as easy to say, you know what? I need to have a little grace for myself. Something's going on and I just need to, but we are, we're so bad at that. Mm. Mm. Um, I don't know why it's just, I don't know if that's just natural human instincts. It's just, a, it's so much easier to beat yourself up than to say, okay, let me reset. I'm, I'm going to figure this out. We've shared our experiences, Suzanne. You've gone a little bit further than all of that. You, you, you've shared it in a book. <laughs> Tell, tell us about the uh, the birth of that one. Ah, the birth of my third child. Um, I uh, I read this book called The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, um, and it's about how to just set your mornings up for success, so the rest of your day is successful, and then the rest of your life is successful. And one of the things that he has you do is this sort of you know envisioning um, of what you want your life to look like. And so I started envisioning what I wanted my life to look like, and it came to me that I wanted to help moms um, with this whole idea of, of what it's like to, when you feel so alone and, 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 and you're not alone and, and it's okay that you're feeling this way and all that stuff. Um, but, and I also at the same time really missed acting so much. Mm. And you know what it's like when you're not on stage or on camera, there's like a, like a, like a need, you know, like an itch. Jones and like a crackhead. <laughs> you really are. You really are. It's a drug. Um, so I, I wanted some sort of creativity. I needed it. And I was stuck home with the kids. And it was, even though I wasn't depressed anymore, it was still hard to be home with the kids and not feel like your own person. So I wrote the book in the form of journal entries, but I wrote it in the form of stories. The journal entries are in the form of stories sometimes. And I, I, I tried to have as much fun with it as I could because I wanted stories. Um, and I, I, you know, like some, some parts that I think are really funny. I get really excited. So I'm like, Oh, look, look what I created. And, and I felt like my brain was sort of getting a nice little massage mm. and it felt really good to do something outside of the kids to do something that made my brain feel alive. Um, and I had a really, really good time writing it, but I wanted to write it in a way that people could resonate with. So when it's, when you read it, um, people are like, Oh, I feel like, I feel like you're just talking to me. And that was, that was the goal is to not make it feel, I don't, I don't want it to be so dense. Um, so yeah, mm. that's the birth of what, postpartum me. Yeah. What, what was it like to, to put it out there? I mean, it's all well and good to, you know, to have mental health difficulties and it's all well and good then to decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put this in a book, you know, as many, many of our guests have, you know, we're 
guests may have been talking about suicide attempts or, you know, other wow. other serious issues. And, you know, would you put that in the book? And then people read the book. <laughs> What's it like then as, as you put your story down there in whatever format it was in? And then people start reading it. What was that like, Phil? It's so intimate. I'm sharing with you like very uncomfortable conversations with my husband and I, where we're talking about like, you know, he asked me at one point, like, do you want to leave? Do you just want to go like go away for a year? Just take some money and go and live that life that you think he has taken away from you. Cause I blamed Sammy for the life that I no longer had. Mm. Um, and, and you know, so we're, and that conversation really happened and that was really hard to just put in there and like, just show you our personal behind the doors conversations and struggles um and then and there's still there's still a lot of like it's so funny because i write about it but i still i almost feel like a hypocrite because i'm like oh but now you're gonna hear me complain about how hard it was being a a, you know a mom with depression but it wasn't really that bad you know like in hindsight you know you want to be like no but it was okay and my life is fine so so am i gonna just sound like a like a dumb dumb little girl and so you know so you sort of like there's just a lot of like insecurities about putting it out there and people reading it and judging you for it Thankfully, it's been really, really nice. Um, I got a five-star award last week with Reader's Favorites, which was oh, really, really cool. But mm. I kind of feel this way about filmmaking. I want to make the movie, but please don't watch it. But tell me it's really good. <laughs> but don't watch it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah. It's so intimate. You mm. know, you're putting your work out there um, and being judged for it. It's mm. really hard. One of the things we'd love to be able to do with this, uh, Suzanne, is to maybe, you know, reach some women that maybe maybe going through some of this and maybe maybe not even know about it. What would be some of the signs for, for our listeners? Um, the biggest ones is at the two-week mark, start to notice how you're feeling. Two weeks postpartum, start to notice how you're feeling. And if you are still bursting into tears, if you still feel hopeless, uh, heavy, um, not feeling love for your child, that's not being a mom is hard. There could be more to that. Um, so those are the signs that I would look out for. Mm. Yeah. And, and there is, and there's so much, there's so much pressure on women. And I, I'd say it to clients the whole time of, you know, fathers and mothers of, you know, it's the hardest job you'll ever do. Being, being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever do. And, Truly. you know, I, I very much, yeah, you know, I try and normalize. I'm a, I'm a single dad, and I was like, look, you know, I, I get my son at, at the at the weekend, and look, I fucking I love him, and I kill or be killed, and, and and I mean that, I wholeheartedly mean that, I would kill or be killed for that child, but I'm still fucking mm-hmm. happy when he goes to bed at night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like I fucking love you, but I need a bit of a break. Yes, the you know the comedian Michael McIntyre. Mm. That he he's, he's like uh, you never love you yeah he's so with oh, his little floppy hair <laughs> he really understands his character mm-hmm. he's so good um he goes you never love your child more than when they're when they're unconscious but still breathing <laughs> yeah and i think we need to normalize that you know it is it is hard and it is yeah um it's you love them but it's 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 still difficult it is. It's really, really difficult. I always say, you know, that people are like, oh, women are mothers or goddesses. And I'm like, yes, but goddesses were fierce and pissy and emotional. 
<laughs> fucking divas. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So don't sit there and just like, we just didn't like float on a cloud and do nothing and feel nothing. Come on. That pisses me off. Well, if they're going to give us that analogy, they should just round it out. But no, we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure every every single person listening to this, male or female, uh, Suzanne is going to thank you uh, for your honesty and your openness uh, around this topic because many, many people, many, many women have this experience, but exactly mm-hmm. like you, they go through it alone or I'm literally the only person they've ever, they've ever spoken words like that to. Um, and it is difficult and don't, you know, don't be sold the the movies that those actors have have sold you of it's brilliant and it's mm-hmm. oh, and it's all of this and yes it can be but it can also be mm-hmm. extremely fucking hard yes yes mm-hmm. where can where can our listeners find you where can we find you online suzanne uh, and particularly your book um post pardon me oh yes um so you can find me on my name is suzanne yatim oslam so my website is suzanne yatim oslam.com and you can find me on Instagram at Suze Yatim Aslam, because that's too hard to type into an Instagram handle. Um, Suze Yatim Aslam, and there's links to my book in, in both of those. So before we leave the last words of wisdom with Suzanne, just want to touch on a couple of things before we finish up, folks. One of those is a very important point that we, we touched upon with Suzanne and her advice for women. If after more than a couple of weeks, you're still experiencing those symptoms of quotation marks, baby blues, please do reach out to either a mental health professional or a medical professional, whether that's your, you know, the community nurse that may come around or your checkups with nurses in the, down the medical center or your GP or back in the hospital. Uh, please do let them know what you're going through and please do, please advocate for yourself. Let them know that you're not feeling all right. Let them know that it's more than just feeling a little bit sad or let them know that it's more than just feeling a little bit overwhelmed, all of which is normal. But going through what Suzanne went through for almost two years, is not normal. So please do um, advocate for yourself or talk to somebody. Please don't keep it, as Suzanne said, her dark little secret. It's important to reach out to, to anyone else that you can, whether it's your partner or friends or family, some someone trusted that you feel safe with. So just to touch on that point. Just to finish up with closing out on the social media, you know what to do, folks. If you haven't already, check out all the social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok across the board. It's all at STMH Podcast. The website is stmhpodcast.com. If you want to come on and tell your story, please feel free to get in contact. You can do that by dropping an email. Well, you can sign into the DMs on any of the social media, or you can pop us an email, and that email is hello at stmhpodcast.com. If you don't want to come on and tell your story, if you would like to email in some correspondence that you would like me to read out, as I did earlier on, in, in this week's episode as the guest did around the sexual abuse with her mother um, then please feel free to do that I will read out that if you're not comfortable coming on being a guest I'm more than happy to, to read your story out on there you know what to do folks I'm going to be back in two weeks time that's going to be the same bad time same bad channel but in the meantime look after yourselves and look after each other one of the things we ask of every guest that comes on Suzanne is we ask them to share some words of wisdom maybe some life learnings something of a motto or a creed of something they've taken from this life so far You've certainly lived your life. Mm. Is there anything you'd like to like to share with the listeners out there, whether it's regarding pregnancy or being a parent or anything, but, or whatever you may feel they may benefit from from your wisdom? Actually, something that something that I, that nothing has to do with parenting, I don't think, or maybe it does. I think it depends on what you choose to do with it. But I 
am trying so hard to play more, not just with my children, but with life. Mm-hmm. Just just to embody, I kind of want that to be the the word of the year is play. Um, play with my my husband and with my friends and just, you know, go out and play. Um, and I, I'm just really good at taking things seriously. Um, being, again, the child of, of, of immigrants and the oldest child and all that. There's just like, I was just always very, very serious and I grew up very fast. So I want to play. I just want to play more. And I think that so many of us forget that just because we're adults now doesn't mean that we can't play. Health.